0: is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking
1: Dead.
2: Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 453, recorded Thursday, October 10th, 2019.
1: Welcome to the program, everybody. It's time for our first feedback episode for the new season of The Walking Dead, which is season 10. Hooray! Hooray! Jason, how are you doing this fine Thursday?
2: I'm doing well. So we're season 10 on October 10th? That's right. That seems kind of coincidental, 10,
1: 10, 10. (laughs) Season 10 on October 10. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny how that works out. It is kind of funny. All right, well, I can always count on you to point something out about the date.
2: Oh, well, that's nice. You remember way back when you used to say this day in history?
1: Yeah, that was some time ago. It really was. That was. That's, you know, 10 years ago now. Well, not quite. I didn't start it from the beginning, but there was a period there probably between year two or three and maybe year six or seven.
2: Right. Anyway, today in history, it's ten, ten, ten 10, uh, for season 10. Episode one? <laughs> It's a one, like it's all binary. That's good.
1: Yeah, very good. Well, all right. (laughs) I didn't think of any of that to start, but here we are. And as I said, we are going to do listener feedback for the first episode of season 10. And uh, I think we should just get right into it. Cool.
0: Listener feedback.
1: First off, we have an email here from James in Blind River. And James says, thoroughly enjoyed the season 10 opener. I loved the Roman-style shields and marching formation. Ross Marquand's portrayal of Aaron's intense and focused determination during the live ammo zombie practice was a treat to watch. I hope they make use of these legionnaire tactics during a future battle with the Whisperers.
2: I sure hope so. That'd be awesome.
1: It would. And, like, I know it was just kind of the cold open. It was to ease us into the new season with something exciting— But also you kind of knew that it wasn't going to be super dangerous, right? Because they clearly were prepared and it was a training exercise. So it did get out of hand a little bit, but it was pretty obvious no one was going to get killed off in this opening scene. Um, But it was really entertaining to watch. And hopefully it's not just a sort of a forgettable scene, but it plays into the, the bigger story later on in the season.
2: Yeah, I I really hope that they show it again. Like if that never gets shown again on screen, I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be pissed. I'm gonna be disappointed and pissed. Right? Seems like you know this. You know, two different emotions on the same scale, but it's not for me. It's two different scales.
1: Yeah, no, I can I can see that. And you know, I'll I part of me thinks I wouldn't be totally surprised if we do never really see them do this type of thing again. But at the same time, you're right. It would be it would be entertaining if if we do. Uh, even if it all falls apart because, you know, things go to shit and zombies come from different directions or something else falls out of the sky or who knows what happens.
2: Well, how many barrels did it take to make those shields, right? Each one of them was a third of a barrel, so it took them, uh, and they had three sets of three, or is it three? Yeah, three sets of three, so I think that took three barrels to make. You know, go find some more barrels. They could make a whole lot more shields and then create a perimeter so
1: that the zombies can't get in. An actual circle of shields. Yeah. Does that mean as the thing moves though, some people have to walk backwards? Yes. Okay.
2: That's what training is for. And you know what? People learn how to walk backwards okay. I know. Especially uh, if they have uh, not just the shield people, but there's people in the middle. Like look at cameramen, you know, the the handheld or body held uh, steadicams. Yeah. When they're they're moving around like crazy motherfuckers, they have people behind them (laughs) that are uh, guiding them, right? Right. Making sure that they don't ram into walls or there's a sound guy back there or the director gets in the way. This guy, he makes sure the cables are all untangled and that this guy is not going to run into anything and, and you know, pushes directors and producers out of the way because they always get in the way of camera operators, I assume. Of course. But, uh, you know, this kind of thing is trainable. Good. It's learn-
1: learnable. So learn it. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That way, I mean, you don't want someone to be in a military formation and just fall down. That's going to screw up everything.
2: Yeah. Well, you also want to train them to
1: fall down and then get the fuck up again. Cause well, yeah, you know, you're, you're going to fall down. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it is going to happen. Yeah. Especially on a beach. I feel like falling down on a beach would be even more uh, likely because of the uneven soft ground. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure I could get up if I fell down on a beach. <laughs> or would you want to? <laughs> <laughs> I would want
2: to. The sand would be hot and I don't like beaches. Oh, so yeah. I'm not entirely sure why I'm there in the first place, but uh, I might be beached if, uh, if that happens.
1: <laughs> I, someone should write a short story about Jason going to the beach. I feel like there's a comedy potential there.
2: Uh, well, you know, <laughs> I go to the beach with Jasper, but I don't fall down. Or Jason
1: fell down. down at the beach and got beached. <laughs>
2: Couldn't get up. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: All right. So uh, next we have Lindsay on the internet. Lindsay writes, one thing I hated was all the hero shots throughout the episode. It's like the showrunners found a new gimmick and just overused it. Felt a bit corny. Let's hope they get sick of it so we don't have to have a nitpick picnic.
1: Well, Lindsay, for now... I don't agree with you because I thought the hero shots in this episode were great, especially some of the slow-mo stuff with Michonne slicing zombies. Daryl got a couple uh, shots like that during the during the fire too, I think. So I'm, for now, totally fine with it, but I agree. You don't want something to be overused or just, you know, used until it's dead and annoying. So if they do keep it uh sort of level and they do this once in a while it'll be great but if we get 10 or 12 hero shots every episode it's going to become tedious
2: well there's another danger as well there's a danger of uh this kind of hero shot dating the show like 20 years from now or even 10 years from now coming back and watching this episode and having these kind of hero shots even though they might be in style now and they're acceptable generally to the public they might be annoying uh, in 10 years. And sometimes people use hero shots. And I'm thinking of one in particular, right around the governor's episode where the two zombies were fallen. And when they, uh, he attacked the military base back in season two or was it three season three? Uh, do you remember that? It was, you might, they might, might as well have, you know, let pigeons loose behind him. Uh, Uh, do you remember that shot? That hero shot of
1: his? I don't, specifically, are you talking about the scene where the governor um out in a out in a field in the forest kills a bunch of military guys and it's way too easy for him? That's
2: right. It's way too easy. And there was a slow-mo shot where people were falling behind him or in front of him. Oh Uh, and it was it was very much a hero shot, but it was past that kind of shots due date. Okay. So and that's why one of the reasons I hated it so much and it's stuck in my craw for years and years now. These ones, I agree with you, I kind of like them, but I'm worried that they did them right for the current time,
1: and that that kind of thing might date the show in 10 years. Hmm, interesting. I hadn't really thought of it like that. I just more think, as Lindsay says, if they overuse it, it becomes meaningless. And we did get a few here in the same single episode. Did you notice another thing that also will date the show is that, uh, that,
2: note drop thing, that thing they did in, uh, um, Inception and then every movie afterwards, Uh there was one of those in this show. Did you notice it? Was there? No, I didn't. There was, it was, uh, I'm not sure exactly when it was. I, I made a mental note and I forgot to make an actual note and I'm glad I remembered it, but there was one of those things in this show and that
1: will also date it. Mm, Yeah. That I can see more actually, that kind of sound effect. Uh, yeah. They so, did it. It was subtle. It wasn't as bad as like Inception
2: or like every friggin' second movie after that for years. Uh, it wasn't that bad, but it was subtle. Uh, it was okay, but don't do that again.
1: All right. Showrunners. Don't overdo audio. it, people. That's yeah. key. Yes. Good. All right. Next up here is Jordan uh, from the internet. and Jordan writes, uh, it would eventually be a concern that satellites deorbit naturally. But the odds of it landing in nearly one piece right next to our people? Okay, okay, suspension of disbelief. But now that I've seen it, it just doesn't feel like it belongs on The Walking Dead. The show started with one little group, and the world has gotten bigger with all these communities. But starting Season 10 with a view of the entire Earth? That just feels too big. I don't know, maybe it just could have been portrayed better? Hopefully it plays a larger role in the season, uh, for now, it seems like it was just a catalyst to get our people in Whisperer territory and Eugene some new tech, but hopefully not.
2: Uh, Jordan's right, yeah, He's absolutely right. I mean, it it was jarring when we first saw the uh, the satellite. Uh, it it absolutely is not in character of
1: the show. Yeah, but you can't you can't. I mean, I don't want to hold it against them too much for trying some different things or trying to surprise us and stuff like that. I mean, I get it. A shot in outer space of the entire earth does feel a little grandiose for a show about survivors in the zombie apocalypse. But at the same time, you know, it got my attention and I have to give it credit for that. Yeah. I was thinking about
2: this last night about that satellite. Potentially being nuclear and I said uh, on the last show that launching a nuclear uh, reactor into space is a bad idea because if it if the rocket blows up you're going to spread nuclear material all over the place and then it occurred to me within the US and Russia make hundreds of thousands of these things uh, that were meant to go like go into near orbit and they were nuclear missiles they had little tiny nuclear things on on uh, on the tip tips of those. And uh, they didn't worry too much about spreading nuclear material around, because I guess if they're launching those, the intention is to spread nuclear material around.
1: Maybe? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, nuclear warheads are launched on, well, I, we have the ability to launch them on missiles, obviously. We hope that this doesn't really happen. Uh, but you're right. They they probably go up into low earth orbit as they're flying around the planet. I don't know for sure, but sounds like something they'd do.
2: Let me ask you a question. This is about uh, nuclear uh, proliferation. Uh, Canada is non-nuclear. We don't have any nuclear warheads. Uh, So I don't know the answer to this. They've done missile tests, like the US, Russia, anybody who has long-range missiles, they do missile tests. And uh, they used to do nuclear tests, right? Test Mm -hmm. detonating bombs. Did they ever do a nuclear test
1: and a missile test at the same time, like fire a missile and then have it blow up? Well, that's, that? that's a good question. I feel like they haven't done that. No. I mean, all the nuclear tests that the U.S. did, they just detonate an explosive out in the middle of the Pacific or something like that, right?
2: Well, they did it at, the uh, for the initial ones, they did it at like, Bikini Atoll, yes, out yeah. there. They moved a whole island of people I said, yeah, you guys got to move. We're going <laughs> to blow this shit up. You don't want to be around when we do this. <laughs> and by the way, you can never go back. <laughs> and that's where the word bikini comes from. <laughs> Interesting. Anyway, uh, and did you know the definition of a bikini? Uh, two-piece a two-piece bathing suit. A two-piece bathing suit, but it has to be able to fit through a wedding ring. Like you have to be able to draw the entire swimsuit through a wedding ring. It can't have any structure to it it has to fit through a wedding ring. You're making that up. I am not making that up. I'm sorry but I'm not making that up. I don't know how we got here but I'm not making it. There's
1: no reason for the word bikini to to mean what it does in and in addition to that fit through a wedding ring. <laughs> yes. It's true.
2: I think it was the designer of the bikini said that. Like the guy who made it, made the thing. I'm looking you that up later. All right, you look it up. Okay. So, uh yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> Where are we? I'm getting off a lot of tracks here. That's fine. All right, so let's bring it back. Next we have an email from Dan in Durant, Iowa. Realistic fire is impossible to portray on TV. Fire causes smoke, and unless they shoot scenes with thermal imaging cameras, you aren't going to see anything. The fire tactics were perfect, but I neither believe they had the equipment nor the training to accomplish this. Uh but the episode was but the episode was great, so I don't care.
1: Yeah. And, um, that's, that's a good point. You can't have too much smoke on screen during a fire. Otherwise it'll just be nothing but smoke. Yeah. Uh, and. It's like
2: any show or movie that shows a house fire, right? There, right. I, I can think of, uh, the first, uh, Spider-Man movie, like San Raimi, Spider-Man with, uh, Peter Parker or Spider-Man going into that burning house to save somebody. And then the goblin being in there. I'm sorry if I'm spoiling this movie. Uh, so then the green goblin being in there. Yep. Uh, and they're both having a conversation while there's like everything on fire? hmm I, like, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, of course not. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> they can't
2: do. see anything in a burning house when you're inside the burning house. Even the firefighters lie on the floor, and crawl around, and search
1: for things by hand. Right, and, you know... Spider-Man and the Green Goblin were in there. They'd be like suffocating from smoke, but.
2: Oh, I I don't know. Spider-Man's pretty tough, right? He's got that super radioactive spider blood now. Yeah, that's true.
1: And in this one, he
2: can actually spit webs out of his arms for some reason. Uh, Gross, like super gross. But, (laughs) uh, so he's tough and the uh, the Goblin or the the Green
1: Goblin was wearing a a power suit. So he probably had a filter through the mask. Yeah, he was Iron Man. Right. And, and uh, yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe Spider-Man's mask has a smoke filter too. No, he's just tough. He's oh, he's just, just tough. tough. You can throw <sighs> Spider-Man around and bang him, bang him
2: off the walls and stuff. He doesn't just stick to things. He's like super strong too.
1: That is true. Yeah. All righty, Thank you, Dan, for that. Aiden in London, UK writes, I am confused. Eugene was in Alexandria and Oceanside is a couple of days away. So how was he right there with the others after the satellite fire? I would have to guess
2: that it has something to do with the wireless radios. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You know, he's right. That's
1: that's ridiculous. Uh, It didn't take two days for the satellite to get there. No, it certainly didn't. Now, let me ask you a dumb question. Do we know for sure, and I feel like I should know this answer already, so people, please don't bite my head off, but do we know for sure that Oceanside is actually a couple of days away from Alexandria?
2: I don't know if we know it, but I don't know for sure.
1: Okay. And even if, but that being said, even if it isn't like 48 hours of travel away, even if it's eight hours of travel away or six hours of travel away, it did seem like he got there awfully quick. Now, to be fair, they started fighting the fire at night and they finished fighting the fire during the day. So that fire fight was a good could have been, you know, eight hours long. Well, the, and also the satellite came
2: down during daylight hours, right? Uh-huh. We saw the satellite hit in the atmosphere during the day. So we know it landed just at dusk, right? Right. And then if so, they fought
1: the fire all night, maybe Eugene traveled and got there to the next morning. Yeah.
2: It was not winter. So nighttime was probably nine o'clock at night. Let's, you know, if it's the middle of the summer. Uh, so nine o'clock at night and daylight was at 5 a.m. Uh-huh. Uh something like that, that, uh, that's what, six, seven, eight, nine hours? Seven yeah. hours. Eight, eight hours. Eight hours. So that's an, eight, so we have to assume that Oceanside is eight hours away from, um, from Alexandria by
1: speedy horse. By speedy you horse. Can't, you can't run a horse for eight hours. It would die. Really? You can't ride a horse for eight straight hours?
2: You can ride a horse. You can't run a horse. Oh, no, Not at a gallop, not at a trot. It's just you can mosey while playing a ukulele or a guitar or something and singing a cowboy song. You can do that (laughs) for eight hours. But I don't think, and with rest periods, I think horses need to rest. They're not machines, right? They're they're horses. I don't know. (laughs) Are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe they had backup uh, vehicles of some kind. Like, okay, if it's eight hours by horse- that means it's got to be like two hours by car or maybe an hour, right? Yeah. So they have to be, for this to make sense, they have to be right next to each other. Like Oceanside has, has to be from Alexandria about how far our houses, yours and
1: mine, are apart. Our houses are about 30 kilometers apart. Yeah. Well, how long, is it, how long would it take you to walk that distance? Oh, a long time. To walk? Yeah. Eight, eight hours?
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but by car, it's only 40 minutes, right? Right. Exactly. So uh, maybe a little bit farther, like maybe not exactly, but they have to be pretty much on top of each other for like, uh, Oceanside has to be a suburb of the same town that Alexandria is for this to make sense. So Aiden's right, this this is fucked up logic. They got some kind of weird fast travel portal going on here.
1: Well, and you know, as shows or anything goes, you tend to increase or, well, decrease travel time by fast travel sort of tactics
2: right so they're as far exactly as far apart as the script says they are at any given time that is the most important point right there and tigers can crawl climb over walls in order to attack the appropriate person at the exact right time as well
1: (laughs) that's a good callback
2: yeah (laughs) very good all right, next we have Paul in England. I was just thinking about how much I, I'm looking forward to seeing Carol go up against Alpha this season because since uh, ever since she blew up Terminus, they really uh, have done well not to overuse her against the show's main villains. As far as I can recall, she's never even had a scene with Negan, let alone fought him. I would not want to be Alpha this season and not just because of the whole wearing dead faces
1: thing. Yeah, that's gross. I wouldn't want to be Alpha for that, but also because Alpha has to face off against Carol at some point. That appears to be what we are leading to, and if I'm not mistaken, the showrunners and Angela Kang have basically said in the media that, yes, there is going to be some interaction between Carol and Alpha this season, so we're going to get what we all want. You know what You know what I want?
2: What do you want? I want... I want it to be not a contest at all. I want Alpha to show up against Carol and the Alpha goes down in like 3.4 seconds because Carol's a badass and Alpha's just weird and strange.
1: You you want it to be that scene in whichever Indiana Jones movie it was where the guy's swinging the sword around and then Indiana Jones just pulls out his gun and shoots him and moves on with his life?
2: Yes. I want that exact
1: moment, even though that was
2: also ad-libbed.
1: It was. I know. That's, that's fun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that, what I want. I heard that Spielberg that they that you know Harrison Ford did that and Spielberg was standing there on set and then he just dropped everything and and laughed and laughed and <laughs> laughed. <laughs> yeah.
2: So no, that that's that's exactly what I want. I want uh, I want it to be not a big deal at all. I want him to build up build up build up build up and then uh, you know barely an inconvenience. Well, I hate to tell you but that's not
1: what's going to happen. That would suck okay for me (laughs) for you (laughs) yeah yeah all righty let's move on we have a call here from tim
0: hey chris hey jason this is tim formerly from east lansing now from redford i just wanted to give a call in first of all congrats guys we made it back to the walking dead main show i feel like that was a really big task for all of us to finally get there um been loving listening to you guys been listening for a really long time just wanted to call in i always seem to call it about something to do with negan um he's one of the few characters that I really still enjoy watching on screen whenever he's on screen. I know they've done a lot of different things with him, but I had a couple comments about that. Uh, The first one being um, on the earlier podcast in the week, you guys talked about uh, Negan's choice and who he wanted to talk to um, and kind of had a little debate over that. Um, Something that I kind of think falls to the side is that everyone uh, forgets Negan was a school teacher before the Apocalypse. I think he just has a better time connecting with kids. He also had a really good relationship with Carl, or as as good as it could be when they were uh, at war. Um, and so maybe I think he's just drawn to Lydia in the sense of she's someone that he feels like he can connect to. It's a, a more natural connection. He doesn't have to be hostile like with everyone else. Um, and I think he's just trying to stay connected to the group, be a part of that while still having his grasp on someone. And I feel like with younger people, it's easier for him to just be real with them because they don't see him as this crazy evil person like everyone else does. Um, as well as I really hope that they do advance his character a little more um, and getting tired of him just being kind of the guy in the cell. Obviously we have to be patient with that and let the story unfold. Uh, but I have really high hopes for him this season as a character. Um, and I really do hope that he gets some action here.
1: So Tim's call cut off at that point. I, I don't know exactly what happened, but I think he, he made his point there um, just bringing up Negan's, pre-apocalypse history too, about being a gym teacher.
2: Tim successfully has talked me off the ledge. <laughs> so <laughs> because he is a teacher, yes, he would feel, uh you know, able to connect to young people a little bit more. And as I think about it, uh you know, in retrospect, Negan was talking to Lydia with a chaperone. That mm-hmm. guy had a spear mm-hmm. and he would have stabbed ne- Negan in the face if he had been any, in any way inappropriate. So, uh I'm gonna I'm gonna walk back my, my concern a little bit. Still his interaction with uh um Judith was inappropriate. Like you don't talk about your past murders with a young girl. Sure. Okay, so but uh with Lydia everything's fine. Uh yes, him being a school teacher and also having a relationship with Carl. Uh, you know, it it's very historical of him to, to do this, not in a terribly inappropriate way. So I'm I'm, I'm successfully talked off a ledge. That's awesome. That's great news. It is good. Thank you, Tim. That um, helps me, f- that, that eases my mind and makes me feel better. Yeah. It, I had forgotten that he was a school teacher.
1: Right. I had to, to be honest, last, or earlier this week when we were, we're talking about it. And I also just want to say that, you know, Tim said he really enjoys watching Negan and stuff like that. And, and I have to admit I do too now. And there was a long period during seasons seven and eight where, you know, if you were listening back then, you heard me talk about Negan and how ridiculous and over-the-top he was and how how I didn't think that Jeffrey D. Morgan's portrayal of the character was even that satisfying, but I prefer him now much more than I did back then because he's a little more restrained. He's reined in a bit, you know? He's not full Negan. Now he's prisoner Negan, and he's there to be kind of a sounding board for many of other of, of our other characters who go down there to talk to him and not really get his opinion on things, but um I guess just kind of see what see not and not even see what he has to say, right? But yeah. just bounce things around and and get his perspective on what's going on in the in the world, kind of. Uh, yeah. I've got three things to say about that. All and right. I agree with you. Uh, the first thing is,
2: uh, you know, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is a very charming guy and every other show I've ever seen him in, he has been relatively charming, right? He's, he's a good actor. He can portray a character very well and can portray a likable character. And he's doing that more. So they've dialed back the Neganism, uh, uh, more than they have in, in a while. The second reason is he doesn't have Lucille anymore. And remember, Lucille right. was in charge of that. So right. uh, that's why he was, you know, super um, annoying Negan because a baseball bat with barbed wire wrapped around it doesn't really know how to behave like a human, right? No. So <laughs> that's the problem that he was having before. Uh, the third thing I was going to say was that uh, Negan is... Uh, Imagine a world where Obi-Wan Kenobi became Darth Vader and then got captured and converted back to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, So he's basically the Obi-Wan. Everybody goes to him for information and for uh, advice and for teaching, but he used to be evil like Darth Vader. So in an alternate universe where Obi-Wan becomes Darth Vader instead of Anakin, uh, I think this would make a lot of sense.
1: Right. He was the mild-mannered yet firm gym teacher... He turned into Negan, the ultimate villain, and now he's been sort of forced back to the pre-ultimate villain version of himself. Right.
2: So if you, if you look at it that way, uh, Lucille was the emperor, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's (laughs) Uh, funny. You know, (laughs) so Lucille was kind of directing him to be, uh, to, to be on the dark side of uh, uh, the zombie force. Zombie force. Oh. Like the force penetrates all living things. Do mm-hmm. so you think the force had reanimated all these? Uh, like it, it, it already in, in, infests all of the people. Like if they all die, they all become zombies uh, without having to be bitten. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, yeah, we got Star Wars going on here.
1: Well, listen, it's not the first time you and probably no. me have compared this show to Star Wars. And or Gilligan's Island. Or Gill- it's also Gilligan's Island. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, I just never again, thought- Star Wars is Gilligan's Island. Right? Is it? I don't know. I don't know if we need to go there.
2: (laughs) I think Star Wars is a derivative of Gilligan's Island. It has to be. Like the the professor, the skipper, Gilligan. (laughs) Gilligan's uh, C-3PO. No, he's R2-D2. Anyway.
1: Moving on. (laughs) Um, I just never thought we'd get to a point where the Emperor is a barbed wire laden baseball bat. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. All right. uh,
2: Next, we have a call from Gemma.
1: Yeah. And I wanted to say Gemma makes a similar point to Tim, actually, but uh, I wanted to play this as well because she brings up something else with regards to Negan.
3: Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Gemma from South Wales calling about listener feedback for the first episode of um, season ten of The Walking Dead. Ah, oh, it's just so nice to have it back. But I just want to say about um, Negan and Lydia. What you said on the podcast this week. Um, I don't think there's anything creepy in regards to Negan speaking to Lydia, who happens to be a teenage girl. It's just that Negan. He was a teacher in his former life. And I think he just kind of relates well to young people. So, you know, it, it was, you know, his relationship with Carl wasn't just because, you know, Carl was like a teenager, but it was like something that Negan could relate to and make like he had a real affinity with Carl, the same he does with Judith And even though she is a girl, but I don't think that really matters because, you know, it's just who she is. It's her personality that draws Negan and is, you know, is relatable to young people. And also, like, Negan, you know, obviously is a villain and so is Lydia, so that's what they have in common and that's why I had that little conversation as kind of the outsiders of living in Alexandria. So, yeah, I don't think there's anything inappropriate, the fact that Negan speaks to younger people. I think it's just who... He relates to if that makes sense. Um, otherwise, I look forward to the podcast again. And uh, not, not that I didn't before, it's just so nice that to have like a series that's worth talking about again. Sorry for you, <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking forward to next week and I'm looking forward to the podcast And uh, yeah, I'll see you soon. Bye.
1: Great, thanks, Gemma. So, the reason I wanted to play that is because she brings up the point that Negan and Lydia. Are both outsiders in this community at two different degrees, and one has been around a lot longer than the other. Um, She calls them both villains, which is funny because I haven't thought of Negan as a villain in a while now. Right? He, he really? doesn't seem—he's like, in prison. I know he's a bad guy, but he's just a prisoner now. He's well, not. Yeah, he's not the villain. He's not a, and I don't even think of him that way anymore. Especially now that we see him out tending to crops and doing other things right um but he's definitely an outsider he's not part of the group he's not part of this community they don't want him to be and it seems like i i get the feeling it seems like he never will be but i have a feeling the show is going to go a different way with it uh and so and same can be said for lydia although she you know they're much more friendly to her she lives free of course and she she was more kind of rescued from the Whisperers than anything else. She didn't do anything to directly threaten our our main group here. But it's an interesting point that they're both outsiders, and therefore maybe Negan, not just because he was a teacher or he identifies or relates to younger people better, but because they kind of came to this group from something else, and they weren't part of it from the beginning.
2: Right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: I well, I mean, who was part of this group at the beginning, right? Well, yes, to be fair, not many of them are left. Daryl and Carol. Right. And I mean, I guess Michonne's been around for a long time, but... Well, we didn't know who she was until season
2: three. Yeah. So... Right? Like, even season two, it was the uh, the
1: season finale
2: where her shadow showed up. Yeah. <laughs> her
1: uh, her shadow, that's right. And no, I know, but I I think of Michonne as being around for so long now that she's basically one of the originals. Uh, but there's a funny photo out there of all the like season one and two characters all sitting, uh, posing for a group cast shot and somebody keeps changing individuals to black and white as they get killed off the show. Yep. And yeah, I think Daryl and Carol are the only ones left in color. Wow. It's kind of sad, but it is what it is.
2: Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, that kind of speaks well for the show.
1: Yeah, I suppose. And I
2: think that the show can la- outlast some main characters, uh, you know, dying, uh, and it can outlast, uh, you know, main actors leaving mm-hmm. and still be compelling. And the show, you know, stays fresh that way. And, uh, you know, killing off main characters. You remember in the comic when Shane died?
1: All like those years ago.
2: All those years ago. I, I, you know, did, like what issue was that? Was that issue four or five or something like that? Yeah. It was, uh, that was, that's crazy. You know, <laughs> it's, it's Rick and Shane, Rick and Shane, Rick and Shane, fucking Shane's dead. You know, that's, that's nuts for a television show to be, able, or a comic book to do that kind of thing. And for a television show also doing that kind of thing. And then years later you have the cast of characters and only two of them are left. Mm-hmm. And they're best
1: buddies and that's nice. They are best buddies. They make bracelets for each other. Yeah. Did you make my bracelet? Uh, Sorry,
2: I wasn't going to bring that
1: up. (laughs) I haven't made it yet. I'll think about it. I'll get to it. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Uh, Who's next? We got Trisha in Massachusetts. I was just thinking that we never really saw what went down in the barn when we lost spy Enid, annoying Henry, and the others. And then what do you know? We get flashbacks from Dr. Baby Daddy Sadiq. Oh Angela Kang you complete me.
2: <laughs> yeah, we did get some uh, flashbacks from inside that
1: barn. We did. Um and Do you think
2: those flashbacks were uh you know filmed on purpose back way back when cuz uh it had uh, Henry in it, right? Mm-hmm. They w- they don't think they would have brought him back just for a flashback. So I'm wondering if they knew that they were going to do this and filmed a bunch of stuff uh to c-
1: to complete that storyline later on. They might have. I wonder. Um, I I think either A, they knew they were going to do this and they had already started writing season 10 when they were shooting that. So they're like, you know what, let's shoot some of this stuff because we're going to write that into the beginning of season 10. Or maybe they just had a general vague idea of the fact that they were going to give somebody some PTSD related to this, which makes a lot of sense. Uh So let's shoot some extra stuff that we'll probably use, or maybe it was just all, you know, other takes that they didn't use. So they just had it sitting around.
2: Right. You know,
1: sitting on a hard drive somewhere. It's like, oh, we
2: got some shit we
1: could use for this. Right. Exactly. Maybe, maybe that's all it was. I don't know for nice. sure. Um, but, uh, go on to the next one here. Cause we, I think we have more to talk about this particular topic.
2: Sure. We have Chris in Syracuse. When Sadiq was having his PTSD flashback to what happened in the barn, and then his conversation with Dr. Dante, I believe uh, these were hints of what really happened with Alpha and the Whisperers and how he actually survived. There was a scene where Alpha is sitting with a bloody sword and she looks over at someone, Bounce back to reality, and Dante comes in and says, doctors are like gods in this world. My theory is that Sadiq saved himself by saying he was a doctor and would treat the Whisperers and be a spy, just like Enid, R.I.P., or Alpha forced him... Uh, into the deal, question mark.
1: Yeah. Okay. So this is, I wanted to read Chris's email here because I feel like actually now that I think about it, we kind of glossed over this scene when we did our recap a couple of days ago. Yeah. And that's my fault. I don't know why. I just of kind of. Co- of course it is. I know. I just moved on from it. Um. But there is a lot going on in this scene. Not only the flashbacks to the barn and whatever post-traumatic stress that uh, Sadiq is having, but also the weird conversation with Dr. Dante. Like I, when I watched it again, a third time, it is an awkward, weird conversation. Like about him coming in and saying, we are gods in this world. He mentions it twice and the zoom in on his mouth and the suggestion that they get a room and then kiss me already. Like everything about it was really weird and awkward. And maybe to a certain degree, that was the point. Right. Yeah. Uh, But at the same time, It was strange. Um, And then there's the other fact that, as Chris mentions, there is a scene in those flashbacks that I think was definitely new. I don't think it was shot before, but it was where Alpha was sitting there with a sword and it appears to be in that barn, I think, after the massacre. Yep. So why, like, why would that be there? What does that, what does that mean? It's, it's not the most traumatic part of that whole thing. So why is Sadiq kind of projecting back to that unless there is some additional meaning there?
2: Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty upsetting to be in a room, uh, where all your, you know, nine of your friends are dead or 10 of your friends are dead lying around you and they've all just been murdered in front of you. That's pretty traumatic, uh, in, in and of itself. That's true. Flash, flashbacks aren't necessarily, uh, you know, meaningful. They just, you flashback to certain things at certain times right so maybe uh i'm i'm expecting more flashbacks i'm expecting to th- for this story to have more content
1: as we go along i think you're absolutely right uh, they wouldn't just have Sadiq have this moment of of trouble once and then forget about it like i think he's going to be struggling with with this for a while yeah and as chris says maybe something else will come of it maybe there's more to this story that we didn't see in season nine, that we are going to be, or that's going to be revealed in season 10. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully it doesn't really go bad for Sadiq because I think Sadiq's a great character. I don't want to she see is. him kill, get killed off or do anything bad. I don't even want his reputation to be ruined by, you know, having done something terrible in the past. Um, but as Chris says, maybe Alpha forced him into this deal, whatever it may be. And therefore- I think she just- we don't Hector. feel so bad for him.
2: Yeah, uh, well, I hope so too. That uh, we don't have to feel bad for him. But as long as he doesn't say anything, everything's fine. His reputation's not going to be tarnished. <laughs> okay, it's just keep like his mouth some, shut. <laughs> yeah, you know it's not like it's a conspiracy of any kind. No, right? It's just him and Alpha, and well, Alpha might say something. <laughs> cause she, she's like that. Yeah. Uh, one thing I disagree with Chris about is that I don't think that the deal, uh, I don't think Sadiq saved himself by saying he was a doctor. Uh, because the whispers probably wouldn't want a lot of doctoring since uh, it's survival of the fittest. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure the same group of people that would leave a baby on the ground for the zombies to get because it's crying, also want to have a doctor to help, uh, f- help fix the sick and the wounded. But it's not like the Whisperers are consistent in their methodology and, uh, doctrine anyway. So
1: it's possible, I suppose. I suppose it could go either way, but I see your point. They don't seem like the type that would really worry too much about healthcare. No.
2: Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, they're, they're animals, you know, animals don't have doctors. No, they don't. <laughs> uh, they and, and it's vicious. I just saw a picture on the internet the other day of this, uh, uh, this deer with horns, and on the horns was the locked horns of another deer and the rotting carcass of that other deer's head. <laughs> right? Oh, man. They got into a horn battle, and one of the deers, then they got locked together, and then they had to fight to survive, and one of them died, and the other one ripped his head off. I walk around with it. Like it's <laughs> fucked up shit in, in, <laughs> in nature, right? But, uh, if he had any kind of help whatsoever, then, uh, you know, a doctor or, you know, somebody with opposable thumbs, everything would be fine. But animals don't have that. So no. why would the whisperers want to have a doctor? Right. Or people with <laughs> opposable thumbs. <laughs> yeah. They don't really need opposable thumbs other than to hold
1: knives, I suppose. Well, they do hold you know? a lot of knives. Yeah. Yeah. So they use tools. So yeah, they're inconsistent. Right, the best. That's the best you can say about them. <laughs> yeah, it is.
4: All right, uh, now we have a call from Scott in Arkansas. Hi, Jason. Hi, Chris. This is Scott from Arkansas. Just calling to give you my input regarding Episode 1, Season 10 of The Walking Dead. After the shitstorm that was this last season of Fear of the Walking Dead, Episode 1 of the main show was such a breath of fresh air. I enjoyed it so damn much. And I really enjoyed the whole Connie and kelly and and Daryl and dog interaction I liked uh you know Connie and Kelly's scene together was very heartwarming, very nice uh interesting concept of now if Kelly's losing her hearing and uh how they're going to cope with that, of course, dog loves himself some Connie, of course, Daryl loves himself some Connie, but they're just you know he's not going to admit it yet, but I like the little look between Connie and Kelly uh, when Daryl walked away uh was very telling. Uh, the fact that Daryl is take, bothering to learn sign language to communicate uh, with her. I mean, yeah, I guess that's a necessary thing, but still, he's he's he likes her. He's into her. So that's kind of cool. But anyway, guys, I'm really excited about where the season's going to go. I'm excited to hear what you guys think about it. So keep up the good work. Talk to y'all later. Bye. Thanks very much, Scott. So, yeah, Daryl and Connie,
1: Jason, yeah. they've been teasing that sort of relationship for a little while now, a couple seasons anyways, and it continues in this episode. And I got to say, I
2: think it's great. I think it's great too. I think it's, uh, it's wonderful. And I think they should move forward with that. Daryl needs a love interest. I
1: think they, I think those two have actually wonderful chemistry on screen as good as, um, Norman Reedus and uh, Melissa McBride do, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. I I enjoy watching those two together, but I really also enjoy watching Daryl and Connie, and I just I do hope they take it one step farther. Uh, Daryl's never never had a love interest, never even close, really. So here we go.
2: Yeah, and and Scott, I really
1: like your voice. I could
2: listen to you read the phone book.
1: <laughs> He's gonna send in a, a message next week of him reading the phone book, probably. Nice. <laughs> hey, oh, yeah. Aaron aronson <laughs> yeah
2: yeah uh was it arthur a ablabab <laughs> something like that i don't yeah. know <laughs> oh yeah simpsons references from season two back yeah in 1994 <laughs> you and me buddy all well, right we're old enough uh, <laughs> so next we have a related email from chris in toronto did you catch
1: the sign language book in daryl's back pocket No, Chris, I did not, but... Me neither. A few people mentioned that, and there you go. He's got a sign language book in his pocket because he's learning sign language, and it's all so he can befriend... Signed. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. So he can sign, yeah. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) There you go.
2: (laughs) Did you know that uh, they teach toddlers sign language in uh, preschool?
1: I mean, as a rule?
2: As a rule, they teach uh, for uh, kids who are uh, not great at talking yet, Mm -hmm. you know, just learning how to talk. They teach little uh, bits of sign language, like for more, like if you're hungry and you want more, they teach uh, the sign for that and uh, just little things like that so that they can better communicate. And Jasper does that every once in a while, just out of habit. Uh, If he wants some more, he'll sign for more. Interesting. Jenny's better at recognizing it than I am, but, uh, yeah, they use sign language because kids can sign and be better to, easier for them to communicate than talking at at one point in their young lives.
1: Sure. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know. I don't know if my kids went through that. If they did, I never picked up on it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know what though? Once my kids started talking, they just never sort of stopped. So. Yeah. Well, uh,
2: that's, that's the thing. If Jasper's awake, he's
1: talking. Right, exactly. Unless he's watching
2: uh, Paw Patrol, then he shuts right up because he's got laser focus on that show.
1: Laser focus. Yeah. All right. Daniel in Essen, Germany writes, I was just listening to the podcast about season 10, episode one. And what just came up was your discussion about why Michonne would call the herd a nuclear weapon. At this point, I was confused about where the translations for the shows in other countries come from. Because in the German version, Michonne clearly says, and I'm going to give this a try, Jason. Cool, 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 cool. (laughs) Maßen Swaffe, which is just a, quote, weapon of mass destruction. This, to me, sounds like a way more uh, appropriate description for the herd.
2: And he, uh, uh, sorry, Daniel, you're absolutely right.
1: Yes, but I, need, I think we need to explain it a little bit. When someone in English says that, well, in this case, they have a nuclear weapon, I think a more common way of saying that is that they have a nuclear option, which, yeah. which just means it is the option with the highest consequences or the one that will do the most damage, basically.
2: Yeah. And, and the, the, the act that comes to mind... For me, for the nuclear option in everyday life is if you're pissed off at a cabbie, you pay the cabbie, you get out and leave the door open. That's the nuclear option for <laughs> pissing off a cabbie because he has to get the fuck out of his car to go around and close the
1: door before he can leave. Right? That is such <laughs> so, a weird, you have such a weird brain sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think
2: I heard somebody refer to that as the nuclear option when, re- when referring to that act. And I think it's always kind of stuck with me.
1: Yeah. It's that's so weird, but you're right. I mean, that's that's kind of a good example, I guess. We well, can't
2: swear at them because they'll just swear back at you. You can't yell at them, they'll just yell back at you. they will say get out of the car, they may call the cops or yeah. whatever. But the nuclear option is just you know, it's so passive aggressive, right? Leave it's the just door like, open, okay? Leave the door open, <laughs> yeah. I don't know,
1: anyways. I, I've never done that, I've never been mad enough at a cabbie to do that. No, okay, that's because you're a decent guy. Uh, but anyways yeah taking the nuclear option just means the the option that has the highest or the worst consequences generally and that I think actually would have been better in the script here to be quite honest with you if Michonne had said that alpha has a nuclear option rather than a nuclear weapon it it it, it doesn't roll off as well when you say weapon yeah. but uh, a weapon of mass destruction is basically what she meant so the translation it is, but it has sorry go ahead i was going to say the translation daniel is uh, actually, you may have got a better version of this in German.
2: Yeah, and in English, or in, in, at least in uh, the U.S., uh, weapon of mass destruction has additional connotations. It does. Uh, that probably wouldn't be present in the rest of the world. But uh, I'm not really really sure I can even describe it, but it has to do with uh, looking for weapons of mass destruction and not necessarily finding them, but going <laughs> right. after them anyway. So right. it's kind of a thing that's not there right, that has that kind of connotation as well. It does, so, yeah. That's a fairly new
1: s- new interpretation or usage of the phrase, too.
2: It is, but it, it might also be the reason why they wouldn't have used that particular phrase in English. That's a good point. Right? So maybe in, in German, using that doesn't have that connotation, so it, it's more meaningful. Right. Uh, so next we have another email from Germany. Uh, Laura in Germany writes, several times you've mentioned that Alpha showed things to Rick. I guess you meant Daryl. Rick was already gone.
1: Right. So it, it wouldn't be an episode of the podcast, Jason, if we didn't make a mistake. And indeed, I think it was me who said that Alf, uh, Alpha and Rick were up on that rock face looking down at the herd. Of course, it wasn't Rick. It was Daryl. So yeah. I just misspoke and was confused in the moment.
2: Yeah, and that like, what that means is we don't miss Rick as much as we thought we would, because you just lift him out and put in another character, and uh, that's fine.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but I think I just, I just got it wrong, and I didn't realize it until a few people pointed it out. So thank you, everyone, for doing that.
2: And that actually has more meaning, because if Daryl was the one who saw that herd, he knows that valley that uh, chasm where all the zombies were and he now knows it's empty mhm and he knows
1: where it is oh uh, he probably always knew where it was because they didn't blindfold him i don't think
2: maybe they did, did
3: today they?
1: well let's let's not even speculate because then we'll just get that wrong too
2: anyway he knows that valley if we know that val- that that chasm that valley daryl knows it and therefore it's more meaningful and it should have had more impact in the show than it did and just look them looking out on this valley and going, hmm, and then they're all walking away. It should be something along the lines of what happened to their herd? Right. They had a whole bunch of zombies in here and uh Michonne just mentioned the nuclear weapon. That's their nuclear weapon and their uh, their their nuclear weapon chasm is empty. <laughs> the chasm right. of
1: nuclear weaponry.
2: <laughs> yeah. So their weapon of mass destruction is missing. So that should actually be a thing in the show instead of just glossed over and then used for, uh, Carol to see Alpha from afar. Well, but, and, and maybe it will be. Longingly look at each other. Like they just want to look at the flowers.
1: Yeah. Maybe it, maybe it will be a thing though, right? Maybe Daryl went up there specifically because he thought, okay, we're already in Whisperer territory. We had to come in to put this fire out. I'm going to go check on the giant zombie chasm uh, and and before we leave, because I have a chance to. And so now he's done that, he's going to go back and say, uh, Michonne, we may have a problem. Yeah. Right? So and, I'm just saying it could be more of a plot point than we, we think.
2: And related to that is the fact that if uh, Alpha is there, then... Uh, and Michonne, I'm sorry, and Alpha's there and uh, Carol and Daryl are, are on the other side of that chasm and Carol and Daryl are not far from the forest fire, I assume, like they didn't take a three-day walk to get there. Nope. Which means Alpha is close to the forest fire and probably still should be able to see the smoke. And yeah. they saw the thing that landed and probably made a loud noise right near their encampment. So why the hell weren't they at the forest fire?
1: Well, yes. Why weren't they? I think the whispers don't just don't care so much about that kind of thing. They're like, you know what? Forest fire, big deal. We'll move over here until it goes out on its own. Uh, yep. Yeah. May may it, not be it, the best approach, but I feel but like they that— they would
2: see a thing coming in, right? They yeah, yeah. saw yeah. the like they would hear the son- sonic boom of the uh, of the satellite coming down and crashing, and then all of a sudden there's a giant fire. God damn it! I don't care how evil I am or how much of an animal I want to be. I'm going to be curious and go take myself a look. Like yeah. they may be animals, but they're monkeys and monkeys are curious. I know a <laughs> monkey in particular that's curious. His name is
1: George. Yeah. That's, I know that monkey too. Yeah. So, uh, why didn't they go take a look? I want that, I want that answered. Uh, well, uh, yeah, maybe, but, or, or maybe they just don't care. Maybe they're like, that's a comet. That's a satellite. It's going to crash. Big deal. Yeah. That's it's all like I can think of. think of. I don't know. I think.
2: I don't believe that. I don't believe that somebody would see that come down and a big fire and then the the fire's out and not care.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess so.
2: A lightning strike starting a forest fire probably would make me want to walk away from that. It's true. And and maybe run because forest fires can outrun you if you don't start right away. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it's just the fact that they're right there and they knew there was a fire because I had to know there was a fire especially in the morning and at night, they could see the fucking forest fire, mm-hmm. right? After they see the satellite coming down, uh, either they're going to be going towards that to take a look or they're going to be going away from it because, damn it, it's a forest fire and they're not stupid. <laughs> right, right.
1: Well, I mean, it, it is what it is. The whispers are, the, the, the main thing is that we know the whispers are nearby now and yeah. we have our characters who've encroached on their territory, so the conflict is back on, basically.
2: Right, and they're inconsistent and not very smart.
1: (laughs) Right, but curious. (laughs) No, not curious. The the Whisperers?
2: Yeah, because if they were curious, they would have gone to the forest fire. Well, they should be curious, yeah, okay. They should be curious, but they're not curious. They're just oblivious, apathetic.
1: The apathetic Whisperers. That's what I'm going to name my next band. (laughs) Nice. It's
2: a good band name. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Who's next? You's next. All right. Nick H. on our Facebook page wrote... That deer could have fed fed 200 people. In what world? It only fed six walkers. Well, I don't think the walkers ate the whole thing. Okay, so here's the thing about this. There was a lot of controversy over the line Carol had when Daryl wouldn't let her go to get the deer, is that she says it could have fed 200 people. And Uh some people are like, what the hell? No way. And other people are like, yeah, of course it could. Check out the math. So- Go ahead and read the next email here, Jason, because we have a listener who has an explanation for this. All right. Jordan
2: D on Facebook explains, I also don't see what the issue people have with the deer line. Let's suppose there was 50 pounds of meat on that deer. That's 800 ounces of meat. For 200 people, that's 400, uh, sorry, for 200 people, that's four ounces per person. Even more if uh, there's more than 50 pounds of meat. You also have to remember that they would have different standards from us on how much food is a lot. To us, four ounces of meat and a side of something else might be seen as a poor-slash-small eating. To them, a small plate would mean everything. We also know that they're growing veggies. So uh, even if it's less than 50 pounds of meat on that deer, throw the meat into a pot,
1: put in some vegetables, and make a soup, and that would feed 200 people easily. Right. So I checked the math. Jordan's math checks out. And yeah, four ounces of meat maybe isn't that much, but it's certainly enough to keep you going. So 200 people could be fed on a deer with an estimated 50 pounds of meat on it. Uh, The deer could have been bigger. It could have been a little bit smaller, but either way, it doesn't seem like it's too far out of the realm of possibility that the deer would feed that many people.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's not like a big steak dinner. Or a big venison dinner, but, uh, no. you know, four ounces of meat is, uh, you know, it's a small hamburger,
1: right? Well, yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a burger place near me where you can order your burger by size of patty and the smallest size is four ounces. You can also get six or eight.
2: Yeah. That's, uh, what's the name of that place.
1: Right. It's Hero Burger.
2: That's it. Hero Burger. I should go there for lunch. Yeah. I've been there in a long time.
1: So four ounces is not unreasonable at all. And, uh,
2: I. Yeah. You get four ounces and a bit of bread. And some carrots and some corn, like a cob of corn, that's a feast. It's a meal, for sure. (laughs) Well, it's, you know, yeah, it's a a meal, especially for people that are surviving, uh, or learning, you know,
1: surviving, uh, hand to mouth. In the zombie apocalypse where you need to ration food because you don't know where your next 50 pound deer is going to come from.
2: So how realistic is it that a deer has 50 pounds of meat?
1: I think that is actually pretty realistic, uh... I, you know, I'm not a hunter. I don't know. I've never, I've never, uh, chopped up a deer myself or bought an entire deer's worth of meat. Um, but I did very rudimentary Googling and it sounds like 50 pounds of meat from a deer is not unrealistic. And some like big full grown bucks, for example, could have more. Jenny and I bought a half a cow once. The front half or the back half?
2: I don't know. <laughs> There's uh, somebody Jenny's dad knows from up north where his cottage used to be, and they, uh, they had cows, and when they do their slaughtering every once in a while, they uh, he thinks about buying a half a cow, and we went in together, he bought half a cow, we bought the other half and there were a butcher, they butchered, it was all butchered and stuff. We didn't show up with half a cow and say, good luck, pal. Yeah, I know. Cause that would be the end of, I, I probably wouldn't eat meat after that if I had to carve up a cow, but it was all nice and packaged in butcher paper. And, uh, it was a lot of fucking meat. I don't know how much it weighed or anything, but, uh, it took a long time to get through that, uh, roasts and steaks. Yeah. And, uh, hamburger and stuff.
1: You gotta, you gotta have a good freezer if you're going to do that.
2: Yeah. We had a big freezer. It uh, it took a lot of freezer space Yeah, for that. So, uh, you know, a deer is half a cow, Would I don't even know.
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't, I don't know if you can make that comparison. There's <laughs> a lot of meat. I can tell you that, sure. you know, half a cow is a lot of meat. I don't sure. know about deer. Anyways, the math seems to check out. So, uh, I'm going to go with Jordan That's 50 pounds of meat on a deer feeding 200 people. Not a big deal. All right. A couple more here. We have a call from Hannah.
3: Hi, it's Hannah calling from London. Maybe it's because I've got British teeth that look like I've been in an apocalypse when I've merely been brought up within the National Health Service. But their bright white shiny teeth are really starting to get to me. I mean... Shouldn't they all look like Elizabeth the by now? I know they're not caning much sugar, but what's happening with this sort of Donny Osmond smile thing. Um, I'm really hoping it doesn't impede my future watching, but right now I've got issues.
1: All right. Thank you, Hannah. I wanted to play that because I think it's um, a little bit funny. And yeah. uh, a, a sort of a strange observation, but that's okay. Just that everybody's teeth on the show are really bright, white, and perfect looking. And well, yeah, I was, but I was wondering, like, would it really? Would your teeth really deteriorate that quickly into, you know, crap, if if the zombie apocalypse actually happened? It depends on if you take care of them, and there's probably
2: a hell of a lot of uh, floss and uh, toothbrushes and toothpaste and stuff right. kicking around.
1: Right. And that's what I was going to say, that I think that if you took care of them, and by that I mean actually used dental floss, which as you said, there's probably tons of hanging around for the number of people that are left. You can probably make a lot of dental floss out of that deer. Maybe you could do that too. I, I don't know. How, I wouldn't know how to do that, but bet you, you could. There's probably a way, uh, but toothbrushes and toothpaste, if you just continued with good dental hygiene, I don't see any reason why people's teeth would deteriorate any quicker than in the real world. Yeah.
2: Okay. So let's, let's imagine if you will, you go into a, a drugstore uh, today, you walk into a drugstore. how many toothbrushes are in there? Like hundreds. Two, three, 300, 300 toothbrushes. And how many uh, tubes of toothpaste? 700? Just There's as many. More- yeah yeah so uh that's meant for you know a large portion of the population, you know the population there's only two percent of people left on the world in the world, right, and let's say one percent of them one percent of those two percent are taking care of their teeth, and let's say all of our survivors are that part of that one percent uh so that's uh let's say that a drugstore has to supply three people with toothbrushes and toothpaste for ten years. I think that would be enough.
1: I think so you know? too. I think there would be more dental hygiene utensils available than the yeah. r- the survivors could ever get through. There's going to
2: be cavities. There's going to be uh, sure. there's going to be shit that happens. Uh, you know, maybe not everybody. Even uh, look at the kids if they have to get their wisdom teeth out. How does that happen? I guess uh, Doctor Dante is an orthodontist as well. Maybe. Uh, maybe he's. Uh, you know, maybe that's what his doctor. Doctorate? you still say doctorate or specialization is uh, dentistry? And maybe uh, that's what he does is he puts on nice white caps for everybody. And then uh, they have teeth whitening at grocery store, drug stores, what now, too, right? Uh-huh. You get the teeth whitening contraption of some kind. Well, I, I mean, I
1: think it's just extra strips. chemicals in the toothpaste. Yeah, they, got a, they, they have that yeah. in drug stores. So yeah. why
2: not take some of those and you know, have some <laughs> nice bright teeth? Or maybe they're taking them off pigs. Right? Maybe you kill a pig because they have, we know there's pigs kicking around. Why not uh, take all the teeth off the pigs and use those as dentures?
1: Because that's weird. And I don't think it's unnecessary.
2: Yeah. It's it's, weird things have happened. They used to make false teeth out of other people's teeth that didn't need them anymore. Like dead guys.
1: That's creepy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Hannah, at least they're not doing that. And, uh. How do you know? fine maybe you don't know that maybe they are doing that but anna uh sorry i we we don't mean to completely uh disregard your feelings that their teeth are too perfect because you're right maybe there would be some people that have some poor dental hygiene and therefore bad teeth yeah but it's none of our characters it seems
2: all right i'll tell you what i'll stop brushing my teeth for the next five years and let you know what happens That's a great idea for okay. me. <laughs> Not so much for you. Especially since we do the podcast remotely and you don't have to smell my breath. There you go. All right. Lastly, we have uh, Melissa writing on Facebook. I like it. Yeah, there were a few unrealistic parts, but overall, it was just nice to see everyone together and having mean- meaningful interactions. The relationships are the heart of the show, and I hope they continue keeping people generally
1: together. I just wanted to put this one at the end here because it reminded me that most of these characters I think are really great and I don't like it when they start writing stories or doing things on the show that don't, that, you know, that are inappropriate for these characters or they, they don't take the characters seriously and things like that. And I think lately The Walking Dead has not been doing that. And especially even in this episode, it was nice to just see the characters together doing stuff and, um, kind of all in one place. You know, Angela Kang has been pretty good at giving everybody their fair share of screen time and storyline and dialogue and stuff. Uh, unlike what we had with Gimple in the years before, where some of the characters basically had like two or three lines a season and they were just stupid anyways. So, yeah, you know, the... This email reminded me of that and just how good a job they've been doing lately, so I wanted to put it here as the final word.
2: There you go. That's excellent.
1: For the evening. All right. That's all our feedback about Season 10, Episode 1. Man, every time I say Season 10, a little part of me goes, boy, I can't believe it's Season 10. Not a lot of shows make it to Season 10. No. I mean, some do, and some go well past that. You know, Coronation Street, that British, uh, (laughs) British... Um, what you do you call? You those? don't have to explain. Yeah, what do you call that? <laughs> soap, soap opera. Soap opera. Yeah, it's been going for what eighty years or something.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's no. Yeah, and Doctor Who. Yeah, and uh, there's lots of shows that you know last a really really long time, but you know making it to ten is
1: rare. Yes, I think somebody invented the TV, and then put Coronation Street on it, and but, it never stopped.
2: Like three hours later.
1: Right. It's like, oh my god, look at this <laughs> invention I have. I'm going to put coronation street on it <laughs> i'm gonna film my neighbors yeah <laughs> i are gonna start a thing here um anyways yeah season 10 it's amazing but uh here we are off to a good start so awesome thank you so much everyone for sending in your emails and your calls with your thoughts and your comments and your questions and so on it is wonderful to get it we love reading it and uh i think it just enhances enhances the experience of the show for us and hopefully for you guys too Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to hear other people's perspectives, clarifications and all that kind of stuff. So great job. We will be back next Tuesday night, uh, when we record about season 10, episode two, which is called, we are the end of the world. So I'd like to get some title reads on that one. I think there's some potential there for some good title reading. Sure is. Um, If you'd like to send one in, record yourself saying those words or whatever, singing those words, you know, whatever you come up with, performing those words, and email that in to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. So next week, I will be away. I have to travel for work. I'm going to Austin, Texas for most of the week so i'm just saying that because you never know what might happen hopefully it doesn't affect the podcast schedule in any way and no one will be the wiser but just in case it does or some you know work responsibilities get in the way we'll try to let everyone know but if you don't see the podcast out at the normal times please have faith that it will still be coming um soon But I'll be in Texas and recording from the Texas arm of the Talking Dead podcast recording studios. Cool. Which should be fun. Uh, Okay, so that'll be Tuesday, and uh, then we will go from there. So in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash dead. You can visit our website where all of our episodes are there all the way back to the beginning. And also you can send us messages by clicking on send voicemail at the top, and that'll allow you to record a message right through your computer and email it straight to us. And speaking of email, if you want to send messages that way, send them to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. And I feel like I'm about to sneeze, Jason, so we got to wrap this up. Mm -hmm. Wrap it up. Until next time, everyone. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Achoo!